always try to look at the failures as really lessons and data points and moments in my life that push me almost like a pinball into the right lane to get to where I needed to be. everybody, Emily Abadi here coming to you live from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For episode 198, I am chatting with Jacqueline Johnson. She's an entrepreneur, investor, best-selling author, and can't-forget founder, the ultimate multi-hyphenate. You may know Jacqueline as the founder of Create and Cultivate, a cult favorite brand that's rooted in conversations, resources, events, and community for female millennial entrepreneurs and small business owners. We chatted after the launch of her newest baby, New Money Ventures, a venture capital firm and brand incubator. And let me tell you, I... I'm feeling inspired to boss up. In today's episode, Jacqueline and I get into some of the nitty gritty when it comes to investing lingo. And in telling her story, she offers up a lot of really practical career advice for everything from navigating layoffs and contract work to making a big pivot. Speaking of pivots, she also sheds some light on what it was like to pivot an experiential marketing brand during the pandemic and reflects on the concept of work-life balance, AKA if (laughs) the two can really coexist. I feel like I am always getting questions about work and navigating work relationships, which makes sense because let's be real, this is a huge part of how so many of us spend our time. So I was so amped to have Jack on the show. She is such just a massively successful, strong woman and happy that she could dive into the ins and outs and shed some insight on so many of the things that y'all are asking about on the regular. DC, (laughs) I am so excited to be coming for you in just a few days. And LA, this is new to the feed. I am looking at hosting a meetup perhaps on Saturday morning, April 2nd. If you are interested, if you would be down for this, I may be looking at the West Hollywood area. So hit me with a message. Always feel free to email hello at hurdle.us. We will make it happen. It's going to be a good time. Also, make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's over at Hurdle Podcast. I personally, Emily, am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Jacqueline Johnson. She is a, I, I feel like, do you hate being called a serial entrepreneur? Like, how does that make you feel? I don't hate it because I, I feel like it's accurate, but um, it also makes you sound like a serial killer. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Serial entrepreneur, <laughs> co-founder of New Venture Capital Fund, New Money Venture. She's also the founder of Create and Cultivate. She also has a podcast called Work Party. How are you doing today, girl? I'm good. How are you? I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. We were just reminiscing about a campaign that we both worked on a a few years ago, and it feels like that was literally a decade ago because pandemic years 
from four years ago. Literally, it just feels like I've aged 10 years since then. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) So, so crazy. So in this intro, I just mentioned your new VC fund. Talk to me a little bit about what that's like. Yeah. So it's super exciting. Um, So I've been angel investing for the last 10 years in female-founded companies like Away and Chill House, Live Tinted, Ceremonia, Crown Affair, et cetera. Mostly investing in my friends and people I believe in and products I love. And really, it was an evolution of that. You know, at Create and Cultivate, uh, which is a media company for ambitious women, most well-known for our large-scale events, There were so many amazing conversations that we were all having, but one thing that always was kind of top of mind during these conversations was raising money. How do I raise money? Where do I go to raise money? Why should I raise money? All these things. And, uh, you know, really Create and Cultivate was where our conversation and community intersected. But now moving into this new phase, it's really all about capital. So New Money Ventures is a $20 million consumer fund focused on women-led or women-founded companies that are disrupting different spaces or experiencing high growth, where we can bring, obviously, money to the table, but also mentorship uh, for these women to help grow, build, and eventually sell their companies. You have never told anyone that that before because it wasn't like that was perfectly packaged with like a little bow on top. <laughs> I mean, thank well-versed you. In pitching. <laughs> yes. It's, it's weird. After 15 years of being an entrepreneur, you get very good at your elevator pitch. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Well, there are many reasons why I wanted to sit down with you today. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, like, it's not the typical like founder exclusively for a wellness-based company or a person that's like making their name in the fitness industry. Like you and I vibe on like a very, as you kind of insinuated with your elevator pitch, like female entrepreneurship wavelength. And so I'm excited to have you here today because I think that we're going to be able to talk about and address some topics in a way that maybe I haven't done so or haven't had someone on the show that was able to do so in such like a way that felt digestible and helpful on the show before. I am going to jump with you back to your like beginnings. But before I do so, I want to, you mentioned the term angel investing. And I feel like people hear that all the time. They're like, oh, that sounds so jazzy, but have no idea what it is. So why don't you just first school us a little bit and what that actually means to be an angel investor? Yeah. So being an angel investor typically is where you write checks and it really can depend, but between $10,000 and $50,000, you're usually a high net worth individual or have money or expertise to kind of lend to these different companies. The reason why they call it an angel is because it's an extremely risky investment. And you're basically being an angel to the business by giving them this cash to then go start their business or launch their brand or whatever it is. The expectation for getting a return on your money is typically very low. So you're getting in early so that if there is an exit, you obviously are getting a large chunk piece of the pie when it does happen. But the likelihood, again, as I said, is very low. I try to tell people it's it's as risky as it gets. And then there are those one, one in a million opportunities um, that happen as well. But you're essentially investing to receive equity or a convertible note or you know a chance for future equity in the business. So it's really a check and an investment in the founder to help their company get started. So the reason to be an angel investor, again, you reiterated the importance of these being people that you're excited about or perhaps friends or family. So you're doing it in an effort to be helpful. But someone who hears that would be like, yeah, but if this is such a high risk and there's like such a low chance that you're going to get anything back on this investment, then why do it at all? Oh, exactly. I mean, and that is the reality. I think it's 
for me, the reason why I do it is I really believe in the women and the brands and the companies they're building. So I do hope for an exit. And I've had a few exits, like looking at away luggage is a great example. You know, I wrote a $12,000 check um, to Jen Rubio before the company even really started. Um, and now that's a billion dollar business. Again, one in a million chances. That was my first investment, which is pretty wild. But that being said, you know, you're investing because you want to see people build the businesses that you want to see in the world. You want to see the founders you want to see in the boardroom. Um, and that's really why I do it. And I know I can be helpful to these companies, but if you're doing it as an investment strategy to make money, it's a bit risky. I mean, no riskier than investing in crypto or anything like that, but it is risky. But it is risky. Okay. So then the follow-up question to this, everybody wants to know how. So you don't just answer that in one sentence. Obviously this is going to be a conversation, but let's bring it back. Talk to me about where you started in your career because it wasn't building, create and cultivate. That's for sure. No, 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 no. Um, I'm a thousand years old, but yeah. So basically <laughs> I started my career in editorial and not in content because content, I don't even think was a word that existed, but in magazine production. Um, so I was working at Connie Nast. I did the internship thing. I did the whole shebang. And then essentially uh, when I went to take a full-time job there, realized I couldn't sustain my lifestyle living in New York city on such a low salary. Do you remember what you made at Condé? Oh my God. Well, I was an unpaid intern when back when unpaid interns were a thing for a very long time. And then I think the offer I got was $18,000 a year. My first editorial assistant salary, I want to say was $35,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. Why guilt? $18,000 a year in New York City not going to happen. So was bummed about that. I tried to negotiate. They said no. And so ended up taking a job again to date myself in at the time, a company that was specializing in word of mouth marketing, which will eventually become social media marketing. Um, but was the early, early days of like me going in on forums and like linking products and like finding what would eventually be influencers and all that good stuff. So, um, I started in social media marketing in the early, early days at an agency called attention. Um, I worked there for a long time developing the strategies for Estee Lauder, Blue Fly, um, some really amazing fashion and beauty clients, like literally setting up their Facebook pages, like a thousand years old, um, before business pages were a thing. So doing all that stuff, which was really fun, I ended up moving on to a different agency called iCrossing, um, which was focused on SEO, but had massive clients that I was creating um, social media strategies for, like CBS, um, Mazda, things like that. And then eventually went in-house at a company called IEC, which is a holding company for brands that you probably know, like Match.com and now Tinder and Weather.com and all these things. Um, and I went in-house at a startup called Pronto.com which no longer exists, which was essentially an Amazon competitor. Um, but I worked under John Foley, who is now the former CEO of Peloton. So worked under John for a long time there doing social media, eventually was transferred to Los Angeles to work at City Search, which was a sister brand um, at IAC, and then was let go during the Great Recession and ended up on my path to entrepreneurship. Wow. No jobs. She's had no jobs, everyone. <laughs> she just started entrepreneurship right from the get-go. I, You know what? It was interesting when you said that I was transferred out West. When that was all going on, I get this question a lot from women that are interested in taking different 
career paths and thinking about entrepreneurship when it comes to location. Obviously, location during the pandemic, kind of a very different conversation than it used to be three or four years ago. But when you got transferred, were you excited and open to this? Or was that something that you were a little bit hesitant about? Yeah, it was definitely not something I was excited about. Basically, what started to happen was layoffs were starting to ripple through IAC. And then John essentially sat me down and said, look, we're doing layoffs, but there is this opportunity in Los Angeles at this company, same salary, same title. And I was like, no, I live in New York. I'm a New Yorker. Like this is, this is who I am. And he was like, I think you have a big opportunity to be a big fish in a small pond uh, in LA. And I think it's a really great time to move and just go out there and check it out. And so I did. I ended up, obviously it was like perfect timing. Like my lease was ending. I was like breaking up with a boyfriend, like all the stars aligned. And I ended up moving to Los Angeles and then obviously was promptly let go, which was not great. Um, but really all of these moves and all of these, um, you know, sort of failing upward moments are what propelled me into entrepreneurship, which I otherwise don't think I would have done. Can we talk about failing upward and that mentality and how to get to that mentality? Because getting let go, regardless of if you feel as though it could be something that is good for you at any time is really effing difficult. How did you manage the stress, the anxiety, the emotions that went hand in hand with losing a piece of what was your identity at the time? Yeah, it was a real nightmare. I definitely did not handle it well. I was crushed, not only losing a job, but also being in a new city where you have zero relationships in the entire industry at that point was around entertainment, of which I had zero experience in, was very humbling moment. So I think for me, I... I always try to look at the failures as really lessons and data points and moments in my life that push me almost like a pinball into the right lane to get to where I needed to be. At the time they're happening, though, they're extremely painful and not fun and not cool to talk about. So, you know, I didn't talk I didn't talk about getting laid off for a very long time. Um, I was like really I had a lot of shame and guilt around it because I was always the successful one. I was moving up in my career. I was doing all the right things. And then to have that happen is obviously um, a punch in the gut. That being said, I like to talk about it now because it really is what set me up to be on the path to be an entrepreneur, which now looking back, you know, is really fascinating to be, you know, in a completely different position in a completely different world and being successful in that world. You know, I always like to say rejections, redirection in a lot of ways. What did your parents do when you were growing up? So my parents are entrepreneurs and small business owners. They <laughs> uh, they own a, a wholesale car business. Not sexy, not cool. Um, but as you know, for as long as I could remember, I was in their office stuffing envelopes, helping my mom balance her checkbook. Um, so obviously, was always surrounded by work and life, and obviously working parents who were building a business together. Who were building a business together? Yeah, I mean, you can hear it in just the way that you shifted your mindset at that difficult time. It was like without that kind of foundation and without being exposed to that from a young age, it's hard as someone that's young in their career to think to themselves like, okay, what can I do with this right now? Absolutely. Yeah. And my mom has been pivotal. I always jokingly, and even in my book dedicated to her, my unofficial co-founder of all my companies, because she really was the one that pushed me through, told me to keep going, you know, was very helpful when it came to things I wouldn't know in terms of financial stuff, especially at the beginning. Um, and you need that person like to tell you to keep going. You know, it's very challenging to be an entrepreneur. Like the, it's no joke. You know, I forget who said this, but I, I watched something, I think it was like on TikTok, but it was like, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur to have them keep going? And it was like, if you need advice to keep going, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. And I thought that was really powerful because I think it's very true. 
Oh man, I'm just like sitting here shaking my head, being like, "Yep, that sounds <laughs> about right. That sounds about right." So you get let go from this job, and you're trying to stay afloat. What happens when you reach for a flotation device, and what's the flotation device? I would say my network. I sent an email out that was basically like, "Hi, it's me. I moved to LA and got laid off. If anyone needs a freelancer or has a lead on a job, let me know." I applied for so many jobs, did not get any of them because. Everything was entertainment and gaming at the time in which I was like fashion and beauty and consumer brands and everyone's like, nope, not into it. So um, I was very lucky in that actually John Foley got me my first client as a, a freelancer and it ended up being an amazing client. I ended up getting more clients and more employees and, and end up building my first company, which is called No Subject. It's a marketing events and PR agency for consumer brands. So I end up launching that company when I'm 23. 23. Now, when you're 23 and you're launching a company, is there someone that you look to that gives you the ins and outs of the things that you need to know when it comes to that? Absolutely not. There was no such thing as like a mentor or women helping women. Like this did not exist when I was 23 for contact. <laughs> And basically, I just create a QuickBooks account. I like LegalZoom and LLC. And I just start doing it, essentially. And had no idea what I was doing. It was honestly a complete mess for a long time, but then eventually became a very legitimate business over the course of seven years. Had amazing clients, you know, Urban Decay, Microsoft, Uber, et cetera, and ended up selling that business to a strategic uh, after seven years. We love that. And when it came to the legal Zoom of the name No Subject, is there a reason why you had the parens around it? So the whole idea around No Subject was this can really be a blanket for anything. Like the agency world and landscape that I wanted to build in was one that had its own product lines, its own ideas and event series, one of which was Create and Cultivate, which was run through no subject for a long time. It was just something I wanted to build and see grow. So there was no subject to the agency. Like we could do whatever we wanted. And so when you get an email at that time where it was no subject, I don't even know if that still exists anymore. Like, <laughs> but it, you would get this email called no subject in parentheses. And it was like kind of playing on the internet puns of the early, early, late 2010s, I guess, of, of what was sort of happening. Um, so now that would not translate at all, I would say. <laughs> so that is what we did. We did the parentheses around it. We got it trademarked. And yeah, and, and the rest was history. And the rest was history. So then where in the mix does Create and Cultivate come into the picture? Yeah. So pretty early on, the first Create and Cultivate event. So I started No Subject, I think, in 2009. The first Create and Cultivate event was 2012. So it was early. It was something that was built out of a partnership we did with the Ace Hotel. We went to Palm Springs. They were having trouble booking their rooms on weeknights. So we were like, who can go away for two days on a weeknight? Freelancers, creatives, entrepreneurs, people who own their own companies put together something called Create and Cultivate, where we would get entrepreneurs together and have really cool, fun conversations, get offline. This was like peak DIY moment. So we did a bunch of DIY workshops, hosted a dinner. Um, and I think it was about 25 people that came. And I never thought we would do it again. And then after that, there was like momentum and interest. And it grew. We did another one the next year and then like another one the next year. And they just got bigger and bigger talent. And, you know, they did not make any money. In fact, we probably lost money on them the first three or four years. But there was something exciting about it. And we used it as a lead generation tool for our agency to get new clients. So that's really what it started as. And then cut to 
end of 2014, um, I get an email from my future business partner in Create and Cultivate, Raina Panchansky, who's the founder of DBA, which was one of the first talent agencies for digital talent. And she was like, what is this thing you're doing? Like, what is this thing? And I was like, oh, you know, it's just like this little get together. You know, we had bloggers speaking and things like that. And she was like, I think with your brand marketing and event know-how in my talent roster, like this could be something that we like do bigger. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, (laughs) I was like, no, no, no. Like it's honestly like it doesn't make any money. It's a lot of work. We're doing it as like a, a marketing tool. I have a really successful agency I'm focused on. She was like, no, no, no. She was very adamant. Like, this is a thing. I'll put money into it. You put a little money into it. Let's see if it's a thing. And then we'll do it as we'll do it as like a test. If it sucks, we'll walk away, never talk about it again. So we did our first test um, in early 2015, uh, where we put a little more money and effort into it. And it was insane. We had major sponsors like Bare Minerals come in. We had speakers like Emily Weiss, uh, Julian Huff. We ended up selling out. Um, The event itself had so many kinks that were horrible. Like I think we ran out of water within like the first like three hours. It was like awful, but it was something. (laughs) And we got so much press and buzz. And I knew after that event that this was something bigger. And so we both doubled down and, and went all in on CNC. Where was that first big one? Los Angeles. It was at this venue that I like basically got for free. It was like partially a construction site. And I mean, there were so many things wrong with this event, but it was, there was nothing like it at the time. Like, and I can say, I say that now and everyone's like, how can you even say that there's a dime a dozen like cool events? No one was betting on experiential in 2015. Right. We were one of the first people and it was something that felt I was of the moment where no one was getting women together specifically to talk about career. So I like to think we were first to market to really build this type of experience and community. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about the early days before this big like LA construction site event, because when I think about like the key phrases you said, like it was something that was just exciting and maybe we broke even, but it was also funneling things into my business. Like you obviously had to be clearly, clearly passionate about creating these like one-off, like kind of okay get togethers because it made you feel really excited. And the question that I'm sure you get often. And the question that I get often is like, if I'm really passionate about this thing, but it's not making me any money, like, is it worth doing? Your answer to that in this scenario was like, yes. Yeah. And it's not always the answer, right? Like I think a lot of time, I always like to tell that story because I think people started seeing Creighton Cultivate in 2017 when like Kim Kardashian was speaking and all these big names and they're like, oh my God, you're like an overnight success. And it's like, no, it's all, it's a no. Like we've been doing this for a long time and making no money. And it's just about figuring out the formula and seeing if there's interest there. If there was no momentum after that event in terms of brand partnerships and sponsorships and paid interest from attendees, I don't think I would have done it still. It's it's really about seeing the combination of like passion and profit come together is when you know to take that dive into seeing if there's something there. And when you say a brand um, like Bare Minerals comes in and sponsors an event, what does that actually mean in terms of what does Bare Minerals get out of sponsoring an event like a Create and Cultivate? Yeah. I mean, so in the early days, it was not a lot. Now it's very much like, you know, exciting. But basically, there's a million different things that can be, you know, given during a sponsorship. Most notably are naming rights, social media, access to talent, speaking opportunities, inclusion and sampling, things of that nature. 
Isn't it so cool when you take a step back and you think about the younger you that was trying to articulate what it was that the opportunities were that a sponsor would get when they came to you. And now, you know, fast forward five, six, seven, eight years, it's like the rattling off of that is like, well, this is what you can get. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting too, because I think we were also one of the first events to really approach sponsorship from an agency perspective. Mm -hmm. We had been building social media campaigns and influencer campaigns for years and understanding what the KPIs were and what brands were really looking for when they spend money. And instead of saying like, oh, your logo is going to be on the step and repeat and it's a hundred thousand dollars. We were like, here's all of this value and we're doing it for you and we're giving you analytics to back it up. We're giving you content. It can come from a media budget. It can come from an event budget. It can come from an influencer budget. So we were really creating a more holistic experience, which, which now is table stakes to even throw an event, but at the time was really new and relevant. How is Jacqueline Johnson in 2017 personally? Um, a hot mess. So <laughs> let's talk about that because it seems as though from the outside looking in, I mean, even these days as well, but in 2017, building a company from scratch, like kind of like just like hamster wheeling your legs over and over and over. I cannot even imagine how, like where your head was at. Well, let me break it down. So <laughs> I sold my company end of 2016, my no subject. Part of my contract was to stay on for a year part-time to aid in the transition. So I was working essentially two full-time jobs at two different companies for over a year. So I was at the Creighton Cultivate offices three times a week. I was at the small girls offices two times a week. I was working nights. I was working weekends. I bought a house. I renovated it and planned my wedding all in the same year. And I don't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> wait, but wait, before you keep going, where did you meet your husband? I met my husband on Tinder. Give me a timeline on the Tinder meet. Eight years ago, eight years ago. So a long time ago. Okay. So basically I was, yeah, I was 29. We met on Tinder. Tinder was the only app out there just for context. Everyone's like, <laughs> ew. These days I feel uh, like when you say like we met, I met him on Tinder. It's like a whole different implication gross. than it was like 10 it's years ago. A hundred percent. Everyone's like, Ew. I was like, listen, this was like when there it was no one else on the internet. So yeah, we met on Tinder and then um yeah, have been together ever since. But it's it's pretty wild to go through that level I was operating on was insanity. Um, uh, I've never probably been more productive in my life, but so burnt out on what I was doing. Uh, cause CNC was just starting, small girls was like a 30 plus person agency that was very legitimate. And so balancing both in teams and different responsibilities was a lot to manage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that you said there, like I was so burnt out. The question that comes up then is if you are feeling so burnt out, how do you even keep doing? And that probably goes back to what we talked about, which is that like rooted foundational entrepreneurial mindset that you had. I think when you're having that much success, burnout doesn't feel that bad because you are working and, but you're seeing the fruits of your labor come to fruition, which is like the best feeling in the world. And you're getting the momentum and you're getting the brands that you would have died to work with a year ago, emailing you. It's, you feel that level and you run at it at mm -hmm. a thousand miles an hour. So for me, and, and honestly, when I say that, I did that for seven years after that. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I burnt out in 2017. I ran up until the company was eventually acquired. But 
it's one of those things where I saw this success and it was working and it was exciting and it was a f- amazingly fun and fulfilling project like to be doing this. So it didn't feel that bad. But like in retrospect, the, I was like, oh my God, how did I do that? That was insanity. When you reflect on that time, can you recall anything that you were doing to take care of yourself or was self-care not even a thing? Not even on the menu. Not like, even on the not menu. Not even on the menu. Like I remember like being in New York, I don't even know for what. And I went through this phase where I would just like faint. And I don't even know what it was, but like all I remember is texting my assistant and being like, I'm fainting. I'm in a meeting. And I was like, I have to, I went into a club Monaco and go up to the like cashier rep. I was like, I think I'm going to faint. She's like, get into a fitting room. Like got me a fitting room and a lemonade. And I'm like getting rushed to urgent care, driving out to the Hamptons to do an event the next day, like wild. And I just, yeah, it was, but in retrospect, I was like, oh, that was like really bad. (laughs) Like what was I doing? Um, But it, yeah, lemonade, though. No, the lemonade brought me back to life. Bless that Club Monaco sales associate. But I, I didn't work out. I, I was eating. I was on the go twenty four seven. And yeah, there was nothing I was doing that was like about me. It was all about the business. When Jacqueline twenty twenty two hears her talk about Jacqueline twenty seventeen, what feelings does that give you now? I don't, and like, I know you're not supposed to say this, but it paid off. I feel like it's hard because I don't think a lot of people talk about this. They're like, no, set the boundaries and do the thing and whatever. But like, I built a $22 million company that was completely bootstrapped and like on my own. And like, frankly, I couldn't have done that if I wasn't giving it my all at that time. And also I'd like to caveat that by saying I was having fun. Like I was on a plane. I was like meeting amazing people. Like I had a great time doing that. I think for me, 2020 and working from home, like phase one was like drinking a lot and being really depressed. And then like phase two for me was like, oh yeah, I have time. Let me work out. Let me get back into it. And I established a lot of new routines that I was like, I can't believe I let this go for so long. And it was, it would have been possible for me to have included those things. I just could not picture it at that time. I was so in it. But yeah, I think like, I'm glad I was able to, I mean, again, thinking of the good things that came out of 2020 was like that balance was restored in my life. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, Element. Element, a science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. Its ingredients are simple and trustworthy, giving you the perfect ratio of electrolytes without additives, including sugar, fillers, gluten, or other dodgy ingredients. They have a slew of great tasting flavors like raspberry, orange, chocolate, or unflavored. And as the spring temperatures are creeping their way in, I am reminded that it is ever important for us to make hydration a top priority. I know for a fact that I am going to be keeping a stockpile of their watermelon salt flavor, one of my go-tos, to recharge as all of my half marathon training continues. Of course, they have a special offer for Hurdle listeners. Head on over to drinkelement.com slash hurdle. That's drinklmnt.com slash hurdle. We love free things to get a free element sample pack. 
at checkout. All you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping. Again, that is a free Element sample pack by heading on over to drinklmnt.com slash hurdle. All you've got to do is pay $5 shipping today. Also want to give some love to my running essential, my friends at Gooder. Gooder is all about creating fun, fashionable, and functional sunglasses that anyone can afford. Starting at just $25, these shades are perfect for that abundant spring sunshine. I wear mine, goodness, almost every single run. I am a huge fan of their Operation Blackout style. They also released a fun new look called the PHG that I've been reaching for on the regular. Now, of course, Gooder has a special offer for Hurdle listeners. I already told you how well-priced these glasses are, but you can get them for an even better deal. Head on over to gooder.com slash hurdle. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle and use the code hurdle15 for 15% off your order today. Again, that is gooder.com slash hurdle. Use code hurdle15 for 15% off today. So let's take the elevator down a few floors for a second to go between the first really large successful construction event to $22 million company because they don't like happen back to back. (laughs) So talk to us a little bit about what happens with CNC right off the heels of that first big event. So we formed the company officially, you know, we doubled down. I invest 50,000 of my own money. My partner invests 250,000 of her money and we go all in and it's a rocket ship. It's a rocket ship up until I would say March 2020. Okay. And we are go, 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 go. We're making a lot of money. We're creating this amazing community. We're getting hit up by incredible speakers. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing time. It's so fun. We're learning as we go. I'm not, I had no background in conferences. We're figuring it out. We're doing it in our own way. We're disrupting an amazing space, building a team. And it's really the momentum around this company was there was nothing like it. Like I always say with my first business, every I was knocking on everyone's door to be like, hire me, hire me, hire my agency. And like CNC, it was like everyone was breaking down our door to work with us. So again, it was like we were early to like the women in business movement. Um, I understood that women wanted access to this information. I had access to influential women to give that information. And I knew how to throw a really fun event. And those two things just happened to magically combine at the right time in space where people were ready for that experience. Talk to us a little bit about what a quote unquote typical create and cultivate event would look like. Yeah. So, you know, essentially it's Instagram come to life in a lot of ways. We or Pinterest come to life in a lot of ways. We create an experience and the way I always thought about it was this. And this is sort of how the vision came together. I was like an early influencer in the blogging space. Like again, a thousand years ago, there was like five bloggers on the internet. I was one of them. Um, and I was able to get invited to a lot of influencer events in the early days, right? Like, so 2015 to 2017, like peak early influencer days. And these events are insane. They're beautiful. There's amazing floral installations. There's like gift bags and, you know, amazing food and all these things. And I remember my sister, who's a wedding photographer in Florida, uh, being like, God, that looks fucking incredible. Like, that looks so fun. And in my head, I was like, why is there events like this that 
look good, have incredible food, have amazing networking ops, photo ops, cool people there, like for the everyday consumer. Why is it just for these influencers? And so that was really what I put into Create and Cultivate from the get-go was I want this to be an incredible event from start to finish. I want you to feel inspired by the environment, but also by the speakers. I always say Create and Cultivate is for women when they want to do their taxes and their nails. And those two things are not um, disproportionate in that modern women are very busy and we like doing both things. We're multifaceted people. And Create and Cultivate really leaned into that. Um, And it was a premium experience at a low price point. And that was something that I was very passionate about. Like if you had the worst day of your life at Create and Cultivate, you walked away with a gift bag worth more than the price of admission that would at least make you happy. Um, And that was the hope. And like we have gotten, I can count the amount of negative reviews on my hand that we've gotten from a Create and Cultivate event because we pull out all the stops and it's all about our community and that experience. And I think that's what really sets us apart um, from the other types of experiences you go to. There's two stages, there's multiple speakers, there's celebrities, content creators, CEOs, there's pop-ups you could shop, gift, take pictures at, learn more about cool brands and what they're doing. There's unlimited amounts of food and alcohol so you can hang out and have a glass of wine with your friends. It's really just a one-day festival celebrating female entrepreneurship. No big deal. Nothing going on, nothing going on, tons of wine. It's like, hey, stay a while. But, you know, (laughs) something for everyone. Yes. Okay. So now that we have a good snapshot of what this looks like, clearly it's like kind of like the pending doom when the pandemic hits because pandemic hits and then you're no longer getting what would like, I mean, obviously, depending on the city and what's going on, but what would like an average uh, attendee size be? 1500 people. Okay. So then what happens when that's not an option anymore? So basically March, 2020, I mean, we have the strongest Q1 in the history of the company. Uh, We're going into a year stacked with events and millions of dollars in sponsorship. And then COVID hits. And I remember so vividly being in like the war room at our office, just like all the, you know, C-suite and leaders in the business and like hearing when South by gets canceled, which was one of our big tent pole events that we did and having done route. It was like canceled three days before the event too. And we're like, and I just remember being like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to shift. We're going to move to summer and like moving at a thousand miles an hour, which is what a CEO would do in that situation. Like survival, survival, let's figure it out. And like my COO just looking at me and saying, I don't think we're having events at all this year. And I was like, no way, no way. Like there's what, like, what are we going to be making memes about this? This is crazy. It's exactly what happened. Um, and We were very lucky. I was very lucky in that I had that person in the room that was also like realities over here and the potentiality of something very bad versus like my like, you know, trying to keep spirits up and move and shift and do these things. And so we had to unpack over six different events, which was brutal, but we were able to move very quickly. May 2020, we had our first virtual event, which was called Money Moves. Uh, we put that together in three weeks. We had incredible speakers stand behind it. And uh, we had sponsors that transferred to this digital sponsorship. And we had over 10,000 people tune in from 50 different countries and got a ton of press as one of the first virtual events. 
And we were able to capitalize on that momentum through the end of the year and end the year with our revenue down, but our profitability still in the eight figures, which, uh, or sorry, seven figures, which was unbelievable for a company like us to not have a single event the rest of the year. So for us, what happened was a lot of different things. One is like, we were very lucky in that we had other revenue streams besides the events. We had podcasts, we had a digital audience, we had membership, we had all these different things that were already baked. So we just doubled down on those things, um, saw our revenue shift into digital um, and were poised for success in that, that way. So we were able to come out of it relatively unscathed and actually build another revenue stream up in the process that now is almost equal to or greater than our events business, which is coming back in full force. Um, so in many ways, it was like a blessing in disguise. I'll say March through June of 2020 were probably the darkest days <laughs> of my life as a CEO. And I think for anyone who owned a business during that time period, it was very challenging. Super but challenging, we, super challenging. Yeah. And uh, for you to, to kind of find the light or see the light, I would imagine that it took more than just like one helpful COO, right? Were you leaning into your friendships, your, your marriage, like where did you find your strength when you felt like you didn't have any? I mean, I think myself, I think I'm like one of the, I have an unnerving amount of drive and ambition. And so for me, it was like, where's the opportunity at all costs. And I knew we were lucky in that we don't have investors at that point. We have no board. We're not 50 people. We're small shop. We can move faster than everyone else. And we took advantage of that. Um, and we were able to come out the other end of it. Our team of event producers became digital content producers. Our, you know, stage designer, experiential designer became a web developer. Like everyone just shifted and moved. That and we were really stage developer. Oh my God. She, well, no, we, uh, she's amazing. She's now our creative director, but she, good for her. We hired her, moved her from New York as an experiential designer, March. 2020. Wow. And she was like, as soon as the pandemic, she's like, I'm gone, like whatever. And we were like, no, just figure it out. And she taught herself how to design websites. Like, but that's the type of people you want on your team, right? It was like, who, who can do, we can do anything quickly if we want to learn and like move. And I think everyone was so passionate about maintaining what we were doing. And we were lucky. Our community showed up. Our sponsors showed up. People who had been with us for many years who knew we could do something really incredible. We were able to do so many fun virtual events, bring in awesome talent. And the rest is, you know, history in that way that we were able to maintain and grow the business despite everything being against us. Everything. You know, it's funny. We're recording this on the heels of Valentine's Day. And I feel like I was plagued with this quote the other day, which was, if he wanted to, he would. And so for you, it was like, all right, we want to. So how? Like, let's figure it out. Let's let, you know, like, let's find our way and let's keep going. And I feel like this could pivot us a little bit in the conversation that I'm sure you are approached about often, which is, okay, I want to get into doing something else, or I want to acquire a new skill, or I want to have a side hustle, but I don't even know where to begin. For you, when you hear this kind of thing, where do you go with it? I think um, it has to come from a place of passion and momentum. I think if you start a company because you see a white space opportunity, or you see a good business, 
you're going to have a hard time growing that company because you have to be passionate about it in some way, shape, or form. There has to be a form of authenticity driving whatever that product or idea is. And now I think it's really just about sitting back and thinking like, what do I love to do? What am I passionate about? Where do I see myself sitting in the space and economy that will provide value over time? And that's really why I think Create and Cultivate was successful is we did not aggressively monetize. We, we never really monetized our community besides ticket prices, which have never gone up since the moment we started. We were about the community and the value. We were charging the brands, but we were building the community. And I think you just have to think through the long-term goals you have in mind because there's no quick overnight success. Like no matter how many times you see it happen or whatever, there was a lifetime of knowledge and information that led up to that moment and learnings. And I think that's just important to know. There's no overnight secret to success. There's no like moment you're going to figure out exactly what you want to do. You just have to kind of start doing it. Yeah. And that starting is truly for so many, the hardest part, the biggest hurdle, right? Yeah, absolutely. I always say start by starting, like get it going, keep moving. Don't wait for the money. Don't wait for the approvals. Just, just get going. Just get going. So when you start to pivot your business all by temporarily online for you, what does it start to look like? Like what shifts for you as a leader of a team in this moment? Because I would assume after, you know, a week or two of like being in that quote unquote war room, you're foundational team also has to take things online. Oh yeah. Everyone like we completely shifted. I mean, again, we were lucky in that a lot of companies had to then create an online business. We already had one. Um, it just was a smaller part of our company and not as big as a focus. So we just shifted focus and priority to that platform, um, which was allowed us to scale up to 5,000 plus members. It allowed us to create um, even more excitement and traffic around our podcast. It allowed us to focus more on content creation and courses and, and things like that. So we had all the pieces to the puzzle. The puzzle just wasn't started yet. Um, so we were lucky in that way. You mentioned uh, a need for passion and excitement about an idea beyond seeing just an area of white space. But then what happens next? Like what happens next when someone has this big idea? You, I mean, you have to execute on it. You have to get going and get started. And that'll shift and change over time. Like, you know, I think every founder goes through a phase where all of a sudden they're the CEO of a company that's multi-million dollar business. And you're not doing the fun, cool things that you were doing before. You're not designing the stage or, you know, picking out the speakers or whatever it is. You're ending up running a more a massive business. And I think for me that, um, you know, that happens naturally. And I think then you move on to your next thing and what you want to be doing and what you want to be building. But I think it takes time and growth and excitement. And all of those phases are really important and really fun in their own way. I think something else that's really interesting about creating and cultivating is yes, it's super inspirational and motivational, but it's also bringing a lot of very powerful people together in the same space. So for you, as someone who was coming into her power as a female CEO, you talk a little bit about harnessing, I would say like maybe collaboration instead of competition and this idea that everyone can have a seat at the table. Yeah. I mean, I genuinely believe that we actually at our 2017 New York event, we had collaboration over competition, this like big bright sign that was like neon had all these flowers. It was like our number one most Instagram moment of all time. And for us, you know, it was really 
I genuinely do believe women helping women is real. I've experienced it myself. I think there's enough room at the table and enough capital for everyone to go around. I think the difference was we just have men just had a head start. So now we're at this place where we just need to accelerate the growth, the information, and the money to women to catch up. And I think that's what Crate and Cultivate started to do. It was like building that community and knowledge sharing um, at a time when it didn't exist. Right. It's a point of contention for so many, right? Because it's it's natural to get a little defensive over your space and, you know, want to take ownership over X or Y. But the reality is, is that once you understand that you have opportunity to do things with other people, again, that big word collaborate, it really does change a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And healthy competition is normal. I'm not saying everyone's like your best friend and or like everyone's like going to be like, no, 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 you go ahead. Like, that's just not the reality. We live in a capitalist society. But I do think there's ways to create that level. Like, I will say like when the pandemic hit, all of our competitors, leaders, we all reached out to one another. What are you guys doing? What's your plan? And that was really helpful. And it was almost like very humbling because it was like, we all knew who the leaders in the space were. And it was like, guys, are we canceling? Are we doing, what are we doing? And I think that kind of, everyone just kind of showed up for each other when, when everyone needed it. And like, how are we handling this? What are we going to do with our sponsors? What's in your contracts? Like people show up, you know, even if there is that level of competition as well. And competition just means that there's an idea there, that there's market there, that there's opportunity there. So it's it's all good. Do you believe in work-life balance? Yeah, I believe in it in the sense that like I think you can do it. I I think that there's the inclination in your voice, like it's very <laughs> indicative. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I well look, I think there's work-life balance. I think they're just balanced disproportionately at different times. Like sometimes work work takes the lead, sometimes life takes the lead. And I think that's how I specifically have experienced it over my, my time as an entrepreneur. How do you execute it on your home front? Well, now it's a bit different for me. I think now I have a very, very, um, balanced work-life balance versus what I had been experiencing for a long time. I think for me, I now have very specific parameters around when I'm working, how I'm working. I also, you know, I work out almost every day, which I love is like a new thing that I'm really excited about. Um, you know, I, have a life coach. I have a work coach. I have all the things I need to like make me be successful. And I'm able to do that now because I feel like I've hit this pinnacle for me of success where I can let go a little bit of those things that were, you know, maybe I was a little bit beholden to for a little too long. For so many, this idea of like implementing boundaries can be really, really difficult. I mean, you even talked so excitedly about like your grind period. And yes, that can be so critical and influential to everything that you want down the line. But if your grind period ultimately gets you to a place where you're incapable of executing, then that becomes problematic. So totally these boundaries, like I, it's something that I think a lot of people really struggle with. Yeah. I think I was also very good at knowing my boundaries. Like I was pretty good at knowing when to pull back, um, on certain things when, and again, it was all learning. It was like very bad at the beginning. And then I think I got better at it over time, but I think it is hard to put up boundaries. Like you want to say yes to every opportunity. You want to be involved in all the like fun meetings. You want to do all the things, but then eventually you have to learn to like, let go of those things. But I think all of these things come with time. You become a better businesswoman over time. You become better at putting up boundaries over time. You, you get better over time and experience. Time and experience. Talk to me a little bit about um, 
getting comfortable being the person that's kind of at the front of the room. I think that that's something that a lot of people would like to step in on or step into their power in being the person that's running a team or, I mean, even speaking in front of large audiences, but that can be really mega intimidating. So for you, was there like any one moment that you felt like you really stepped into this position of being okay with being, you know, this front woman of sorts? I think, I don't know if I was always comfortable with it. I specifically remember like our VP and this was like maybe 2018 because I was running around in sneakers, setting everything up for create and cultivate events. Like, you know, and she, she was like, I think you need to like shower. (laughs) Like before, like she was like, you need to like get hair and makeup for these events. And I was like, what? Like I was like in it, you know? And I feel like that was like a really big moment for me to be like, oh, right. Like I'm the face of this brand. And I stepped into it a little bit there. I was always confident in understanding my audience, understanding business, understanding all those things. Being the face of your brand is a, is a little bit of a different um, beast. And I think now there's a lot of pressure on female founders to also be the face of their companies, which I don't think is necessarily need. You don't have to do both. But I, I think for me, I was always really confident and comfortable, you know, because I always like, I knew my shit. I knew what I was doing. And I think like that was something that I learned early on in my career because going into these rooms in early social media days where I was talking about Twitter and Facebook and engagement and, and um, user-generated content and like all these old white guys are like, what is she talking about? I knew I knew more than them because I was the consumer they were trying to hit. So I think for me, I developed my confidence early in my 20s just by being a part of my generation and understanding like marketing early on. It's the confidence for me. And honestly, it's being honest about what you actually know versus what you don't and being open to ask when you want to learn. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. I mean, uh, talking about getting comfortable, talking about confidence, where we talked about at the top of this podcast about new money ventures, your new venture capital firm. Uh, Obviously, that means that you're also comfortable talking about money, which is something that a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about. And hand in hand with that, hand in hand with starting new companies, trying new things, experimenting, comes, of course, some devastating losses at times. Let's have a little bit of a conversation about that, right? Because I feel as though it's like, how can we get better about opening up about the less than glamorous moments, the things that aren't always posted all about all over Instagram? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think like, I, as I said earlier, failure is just data points. Like you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, you're going to make a lot of money maybe and lose a lot of money in the process. And I think that's okay. I think that's, that's why losses are there. That's why, um, you know, you learn by what you're doing and, and taking big swings. I think that's really important. I think at the end of the day, talking about money is so crucial, especially for women in business. Um, understanding what to charge, how to charge, how to invest, what to invest, how much to invest, um, who helps you invest. All those things are are so important because it just helps further the education for women longer term to then flip the script on what general generational wealth actually looks like. Yeah. The idea of like what to charge, who to charge, I feel like is the like never ending click baby thing that we're seeing on TikTok right now. I've only been like immersed in TikTok for a month or two, but since getting involved, yeah. are you the same? 
TikTok is insane. But everyone's talking about money on TikTok. But it, it's crazy. Yeah, it's really crazy. And I'm sure that a lot of people seek out some of the resources perhaps that Create and Cultivate was making when it comes to figuring out how much they should be charging for different types of brand partnerships. Oh, definitely. But I also think there's a little bit of a credibility crisis happening where there's a lot of information on on how to make money, what to charge, what to negotiate. But like, who are these people? Who? What credibility do you have? So I think that expertise, which Crate and Coldfate really provides, is going to be even more valuable over the next couple of years. When you uh, think about some of the best lessons that you've learned in establishing these companies, what would you say are perhaps two of the biggest takeaways that you offer to new entrepreneurs aside from just start? Yeah. I mean, I would say first and foremost is like cash is king, like focus on profitability, focus on building a real business. And also I would say, listen to your community. Feedback is a gift. Getting that information early on is so important to help build your business um, and continuing that information over time. I mean, we got so much incredible feedback from our audience at Create and Cultivate that shaped and shifted how we built the company because those are the people that are going to be buying your tickets, your products, whatever it is. And if they have information that's going to help build your business, take advantage of that. How do you not take some of the negative feedback personally? Uh, you don't. You take it very personally. <laughs> I took all every complaint for CNC. I was like, ah! like there were people who were like, I did not get this one product in my gift bag. And like, meanwhile, it's like our team stuffing the gift bag. And I would like mail overnight mail, buy the product myself and just overnight mail it to them. Cause I was like, I just want them to be so happy. Um, but at the same time, you also have to under give it, give context. There's people who are always going to be unhappy or complain about things, you know, whatever it is. But then there's people who are actually providing real insight. And I think you just have to know the difference between the two. What are you excited about right now? <sighs> I have to say new money ventures. Like I'm so excited to be on the other side, listening to these incredible women pitch their businesses, hear about their stories and what they want to build. It's really reassuring that the next generation of female entrepreneurs are really doing amazing work and, and building really cool companies. New money ventures already investing in some really interesting companies. Anything in particular that really ignites your fire right now? Um, I'm like obsessed with all of our portfolio companies. I would say, um, one that I'm really excited about is called frame, um, frame fitness. I've heard about this. Yes. It's a digitally connected Pilates reformer. I'm obsessed with reformer Pilates. I feel like it's the only thing that actually changed my body. Um, and it's essentially storable. So even if you live in an apartment, it can go in your closet, under your bed, um, and has some of the best instructors in the world. And so I, that to me, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about cause I'll be a customer of that for sure. I need to, I need to get on one of those ASAP. Yes. They're amazing. <laughs> they're amazing. Someone comes to your Instagram page. They see someone with over a hundred thousand followers, all of your beautiful accolades, a motivated female serial female entrepreneur. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? I mean, I would say someone who who's achieved their goals. Like, I think I was really bad at stopping and being like, wow, this is like amazing that we've done this. I definitely wasn't that person. I was like, go, go, go. Um, and every like big milestone just passed by. But I think I was like, I feel like I'm finally at a place in my life where I can reflect on my success and really enjoy it. We love that. We love that. All right, Jacqueline, final question here. Right now, you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice looking back at the hurdle moment, which was 
March 2020, operating a business that was coming off of its biggest Q1 ever and finding out you had to table everything. <laughs> what is it that you tell yourself with the intel that you have now? I would just say keep going. Um, I think it's like push through it because at the end of the day, I think it was the unknown for everyone. And I think if someone would have, I was so easily be like, let's just shut it all down. Like I was in such a place like that, but I think just like keep going, keep moving, keep innovating. Keep going, keep moving, keep innovating. Jacqueline Johnson, so much fun having you on the show today. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give us all of your details. Yeah, so um, mostly on Instagram, I'm at Jacqueline R. Johnson. There's at New Mini Ventures Co., at Create Cultivate, and at Work Party. At Work Party. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs> 